Appreciate it, Andrew. Uh, my name is Marshall Worth. I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> it's good to be here tonight. Um, it's good to see so many people. It's certainly intimidating to be up here in front of so many people. Um, it certainly reminds me of the room that I walked into when I joined this group a little while ago. We had uh, in the annex, we had, I mean, I just remember walking in and a guy named Mr. Clean was there. <laughs> and uh, I think maybe Drew Fish and some other guys, and it was just three or four guys that I'd walk into, and, and I remember how desperate I was and how afraid I was um, and um, how much better I felt when I saw those guys. Um, and they were laughing and um, how much better I felt about my life and what was going on and and just remembering early on how I could just never possibly imagine that that anything that would ever good would happen to me ever again. And, and I'd walk into that room, and, and for a moment during that day, things would be okay. Um, so I hope I hope somebody feels like that in here. Um, uh, I know I certainly do. Um, my sobriety date is, is July the 27th of 2012. This is uh, my home group, if you figured that out. Um, and um, I have a sponsor. Um, I meet with that sponsor regularly. I, I know what it's like not to meet with that sponsor regularly. I know what it's like to meet with them twice a week. Um, I think we're on a good cadence right now. Um, <clears throat> sponsor is definitely vital for my sobriety. I mean, I, what I need in my life is less of my opinions and thoughts and attitude and, and more of somebody else that can just bring a different viewpoint. And I often find that's the case when I meet with them is, I can certainly tell you I don't agree with everything he says, um, but I feel like that's kind of the purpose, is that God has put somebody in my life that can share with me a different opinion, can pull me out of my head for a second, and I can just say, man, you never thought about that. And then I can throw that away, or I can take that with me, and I can, I can take that back to God if I want to and say, hey, I just got this kind of opinion over here. I'm wondering what I'm supposed to do with it. Um, but I find that it's vital in my life just to, to be open to to hear new things, to be willing to hear new things, um, and to be challenged, too. Um, I will say, I used to try to please, you know, I, I thought my sobriety was based off of whether or not this guy thought I was doing a good job. Um, I'm certainly not over that. I mean, I probably carry some of that with me. Um, but what I've found is through his advice and, and through all of y'all's advice and, and, you know, how to live and watching you all live principle in your life that I don't, feel that way anymore that I believe that that you know I'm here for a purpose that God has given me something in life just to do with um, and so I believe um, I believe in carrying the message to, to other men and women um, I believe very strongly in what it says in the book that that my purpose in life today is to be of maximum service to God and to other people I don't think there's, you can't really question that at all. Like, you can't get around that. There's nothing else. You can't insert anything into that. It's very simple, is that I'm supposed to be of maximum service to God and to other people, and that's it. It's actually very simple, too, for me. Um, I will say that I do feel a special connection. I feel like there's a special purpose for me or a higher purpose, however you want to look at it, when I'm with alcoholics. Um, as afraid as I am sometimes to say go into the jail with a couple of men or, or to go into an institution or something like that, um, I always enjoy being there. I always feel better when I walk away from there. Um, I always feel like I've done something more than. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. It might be nothing. I mean, I can certainly don't want to stand up here and tell you that, that 
you know, I'm the end-all, be-all, and, and y'all are going to be a lot better because you listen to me. Um, certainly not going to tell you that, that um, God thinks that way of me either. I mean, that might sound a little weird, um, but um, I believe that I'm just playing the role. I'm trying to play the role, the purpose that I'm supposed to, supposed to play. Madeline, you're supposed to keep me on time, so I need you to get your clock out. <laughs> Um, so, um, you know, uh, I don't know if anybody grabbed anything out that, but I certainly didn't begin life like that. Um, from, from what I can tell, the earliest members, or memories that I have, um, I was just flat out terrified of life. I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. I mean, I can tell you it's not because of my dad. It's not because of my mom or my brother. It's not because of the people that were in my life. I just, I just remember being very scared from a very early age. And I was afraid about what you were thinking. And I was afraid about what you were doing. And I was afraid of what you thought about me. And I was afraid that I didn't say the right thing or I didn't look the right way or I wasn't the right person. Um, and I was just terrified of that. And I was deathly afraid that you would figure out that I was missing something. Uh, and I did everything that I could from a very early age to, to like hide something, whatever that is, to pull the wool over your eyes, to make myself look better, kind of chameleon blend in wherever I could. And, and I just knew that something was wrong with me. Um, and uh, early on, though, I did have a very good group of friends. I mean, I tried some different stuff, you know, to, to get out of that feeling. I, I tried, um, tried staying inside right? <laughs> Staying away from people, right? You know, you can't worry about what people are thinking about you when you're not with them. Um, and uh, that didn't help. I mean, I just became more and more lonely and depressed. Um, but I did have a good group of friends that I am still with today. Um, you know, we've got this text thread uh, that we all communicate on. And, and um, they pulled me out one night to go over to a friend's house. Up until this time, we all have older siblings. Up until this time, you know, um, people were, you know, starting to experiment. They were starting to smoke cigarettes and smoke a little pot. People were starting to drink a little bit. And, and um, I, had, I had had maybe half a beer or something like that before this. Um, but I had pretty much considered, like, man, you know, I don't need to drink. I don't really understand why people do that. Um, but they pulled me out of that house one night, and they got me over to this friend's house. We were in this carport, um, and uh, a guy, a friend of mine, sold me two airplane bottles of Jack Daniels. Um, and these guys were just encouraging me to, to, to drink it as fast as I could, and I listened to them. I wanted to impress them. You know, there were a bunch of older guys that were there. Um, wanted to make sure I looked right in front of everybody. And, and uh, I drank those airplane bottles as fast as I could. And, and the next memory that I have from that night is, you know, busting through this doorway and tripping over this door sill and lying flat on my face and, like, throwing my head up and seeing everybody just staring at me. You know, just this mess just bursting through the door and everybody staring at me. And in this moment, you know, what I really would have done, what was normal for me to do was to just you know, cower down, maybe start crying, you know, maybe turn out and run up the driveway or something like that. 
but I can remember when I looked up and I saw all those guys looking at me, I knew exactly what they were thinking. And I had that ease and comfort come over me and that warmth in my belly, and I knew that they thought I was the coolest guy in there. They were all just waiting for me to get off the ground. They were all just waiting for me to crack a joke. Right? They were all waiting for me to get the women over to the house. I knew exactly that I had the best thing that they had that night. And I knew all of them. I knew they all knew it, too. And they just were just looking up to me. Um, and I will never forget that moment because all of that fear that was in my life up until that day just melted away from me. Um, and it was like all of a sudden I had purpose in life. All of a sudden all of these problems that I thought I had were solved. Um, the man that I could be, you know, really the boy at this time that I could be was, was, was drinking. I mean, I just thought everything of it. And it really just became a part of my life. I mean, there was no other way for me to live. Um, I did, I mean, a part of my story, I, I did, uh, at that time, it was, it was easier to get other drugs and things like that. Um, and so I did just cycle through whatever was out there and, and uh, tried everything I could. And I pretty much just figured, well, you know, if alcohol can make me feel this way, maybe some other things can too. Um, and, and, you know, what happened with that, even, even with smoking pot, I mean, I used to love, man, I used to love smoking pot and just being high all day. And then what happened one time is, is uh, I got really scared, really paranoid in a car ride with my friends. And I was like, I don't like this. And I stopped smoking. And I did that with a number of other substances. But every single time that I drank, there was never anything that could happen to me that would make me think that. Um, it was always something else. It was always the people I was with. It was always um, a different way for me to solve my problem. Drinking was never the issue. Um, and so I kind of cycled through all this stuff. I got as much, you know, booze as I could when I was at that age. And, and I just kind of lived my life, you know, from drunk to drunk, basically, just trying to, trying to fit in, trying to be normal in life. Um, and I had, I mean, I had trouble, you know, as a teenager. I mean, not, not anything terribly serious. Um, got kicked out of school for putting a kid in the hospital, but that was different. Um, but, but things would happen to me. Um, things would happen to me, and, and I would just sit back, and what I would do is I'd look around, and I'd be like, man, like, why is all this stuff happening to me? Like, how, how come, like, I'm hanging out with the same people. They do the same stuff that I do, right? Like, why am I always going, you know, to court? Why am I getting kicked out of school? Why am I on probation? Like, what's going on over here? Um, and I just couldn't, I, it was just baffling to me that any of that stuff would happen to me. Uh, meanwhile, I mean, really my attitude during this time really was, is, is I just, I needed, I don't care what you're doing. I don't need anything else in my life. I don't need to know whose party we're going to. What I need to know is when we're getting beer and when can I start drinking? And that's really the only thing I cared about. Um, and the only thing that made me feel good is, is, you know, when I would, uh, drive out to a place that I could buy beer and I could put a case in the back of my car and I could bring two beer up in the front seat with me as I'm you know, driving around. Um, and then everything was fine. All my problems were solved. The school, whatever was going on was fine. You know, whatever was going on with my friends, I really didn't care. In fact, maybe my, my, largely my favorite thing to do when I was young, when I was drinking, would, was to be in trouble with my parents. Because then I had an excuse that I could stay home. I didn't have to go anywhere. They had a liquor cabinet with, with liquor from 1975 onwards. 
and I would just I would just drink out of these. I, they had this like Nutcracker vodka thing. It was about this big, and I would drink out of this thing and everything else they had, um, and I'd fill it back up with water and all that kind of stuff. And I just loved that because I, I didn't have to go anywhere. My parents would go to sleep like early. They wouldn't be worried about me. Um, and I just love that I could get as drunk as I could and I didn't have to worry about anything and nobody could say anything to me. Um, so this period of my life really, I mean, it ended with, uh, with me going to jail. Um, and uh, it, was a, it was definitely a low time. I mean, I had been, this, this summer of my 18th birthday uh, was a pretty low time. And I, I, I got kicked out of school. Um, <laughs> did some, some, you know, just like anybody can say, I did some horrible things that I never thought I would stoop to, right? I never thought I would do these horrible, disgusting things to other people. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living that life. And, and then all of a sudden I'm in jail. And, and I remember um, taking my one phone call and, and calling my dad and him picking up about two or three o'clock in the morning when I finally got time to do it. And, you know, he's, he's, Confused, like what? What? Where are you calling from? Who is this? And I was, Dad. You know, I messed up again. Um, I'm at jail, um, and I was like, I really don't care if you come and get me. I was like, What do you want me to do? I was like, I really don't care. Like, you can leave me here if you want, or you can come and get me. Um, and as an example, I mean, you know, here's an example of of, of you know the life, the the family that I grew up in, the 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 people that were around me. I mean, he showed up seven o'clock the next day is two hours away in stokesdale county or wherever it was and, and he showed up to bail me out of jail he showed up you know in uh for alexandria virginia to grab me from school when i got kicked out i mean he was just there for me constantly there was nothing really you know that i could do he was constantly there constantly showed love for me constantly showed support um and I just bring that to example that, like, that's just, that's the kind of people that I had in my life, you know. And when I think about it, I mean, my whole drinking kind of career, I guess if you call it that, I mean, what I think about is, like, that uh, pathetic um, demoralization just over and over again. And, and, like, you would just look at my life and just go, man, here's a guy that's got everything that you need, right? He's, he's got everything that he needs to be successful, to go and do something worthwhile in life, but here he is again, drunk, one more time. Um, stole something from, you know, from his friends one more time. You know, done something else one more time. Jesus, man. Um, and that's just like, that's my drinking career, just like over and over again. Like, I wish I could, I wish I had a really cool story about a gun. I did get, I had a bulletproof vest on once. I did have a guy hit me in the chest with it, which was fun. Um... I got a knife pulled on me once, totally my fault because I'm a jerk, right? Because like I'm just this horrible person when I'm drunk, um, and it's never my fault, right? It's always something else. Um, but so I'm at jail. I call my dad, and and um, he comes to bail me out, and, and and he takes me home. And I remember for the whole you know two hours, hour and a half, whatever it was to get back home. I'm just looking out the passenger window and I'm crying and I'm just thinking about how disgusting, horrible a person I am. And my parents that day, they gave me an ultimatum. They said, hey, either you can go work for your dad and you can figure this out yourself 
So we're not going to pay for the courts anymore. We're not going to pay for lawyers. We're not going to pick you up from jail. You can figure this out on your own. I said, or you can go to rehab. And so at that time, I mean, I don't know what it was. I didn't think I, I was in just enough desperate of a position that, it, that going to rehab sounded like a good idea. Uh, and I went out to this place in Arizona, and, and I stayed sober for 30 days and was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and, and um, was told by the time I left there, the, the, you know, the counselor or whatever it was told me, he said, hey, look, the first thing that you're going to do when you get out of here is you're going to go find a meeting and you're going to get a sponsor. I had no idea what any of that stuff was. I had no idea what any of that stuff meant. But what I knew is that they seemed to have an idea about my life or something I should do. Because up until that point, I really at that point, I had one more year in school. Um, but I really didn't care if I went. I was trying to convince my parents that I would just do a, um, a GED and I would just go on with my life. And, and honestly, all I really wanted to do was people just to stop bothering me. Just leave me alone and I'll be fine. Um, but this guy, they said, hey, you should go get a meet. You should go to a meeting, get a sponsor. And... and um, figured all right, that's a lot better than I got right now um, so I went back home uh, finished out uh, my last year at high school and started going to meetings got a sponsor um, met some good people was in Greensboro and and um, it started a stint of sobriety that lasted about three years it wasn't continuous but but it was about three years it, it, it got saw me graduate high school it saw me uh, get into uh, college and devoted to a, a, a major that I wanted to be in. Um, by the end of it, I do remember that I felt a closeness to God. I felt like I was understanding God, at least to some extent. Uh, but I remember all through this time, I had this just feeling like, man, I'm like, this is all great, but I don't really get what step one means. I just don't really think I'm an alcoholic. And I, would, I went through like seven or eight sponsors during this time, and, and uh, each one of them just really said about the same thing, was like, look, man, let's just, let's not worry about that. Let's, let's move on with the steps. Let's just, try to, let's just try to see what we can do with your life, and, and we'll kind of figure that out. Well, I turned 21, and I still had that horrible doubt in my mind, and, and, um, and I decided, like, man, I'm just I'm sick of this. I'm sick of what all you people are telling me. I'm sick of what uh, uh, what you're telling me to do. And and uh, I decided that I was going to drink again. Uh, and so I was home from, from school for some kind of vacation. It might have been spring break or whatever. But um, I went and, and got a couple of beers from a downstairs refrigerator. And just like that vodka that had been there for about 40 years, this beer had been in that fridge for probably about 35. And... Um, I went up to this little TV room I was I was hanging out in, and I drank these two beers, um, and I remember just feeling elated, just like immediate. Not only was the thought of it just enough to lift my spirits and just to get excited and going downstairs and open the fridge and getting the beer out and everything, but as soon as it hit my lips, I just remember just this relief coming over me. It's like all this tension that had been built up in me over these last three years or whatever it was, all of this tension just immediately melted away from me. And I just remember being so elated because I had built up in my mind this thought that, that when you all drank and what you told me is that as soon as you drank, you turn into this different person. And I had built it up as this kind of Jekyll and Hyde thing and that I would kind of 
turn into to was it Mr. Hyde, right? And I'd like Hulk out, and I would just start crashing through the house and stuff like that. And and, and immediately when that beer hit my lips, and I didn't turn into this different person, I thought what it meant to me was is that I'm not an alcoholic. I just remember being like, man, this is great. <laughs> cool, boy, this is great. Like, I got, I got it again. Like, this is, I finally, I've got purpose in my life. I've got everything that I need right now. <laughs> and um, I think what's interesting, when I think about it now, it probably it took me a while in sobriety to, to, to recognize this, but, I, I mean, I'd argue that I had a very similar experience to everything, almost exact same experience to everything that I'd heard before, right? That people, as soon as that beer hits their lips, as soon as it gets into them, that they, they turn into a different person, they're a different person. Because I remember when it got into me, life was okay again. I turned into a different person. All of those old ideas in my mind about being scared and frightened of what I was going to do after college or during college, all of those fears of homework or any of that stuff, social life or anything, was replaced immediately in my mind by new ideas, about how good I was, how confident I was immediately. <clears throat> I, do, I do remember at some point, I, did, I spoke to a, my sponsor at that time, and, and uh, I told him, I was like, look, I drank again. And I, I think he, he either laughed or he just said, man, I was about to tell you to do that. <laughs> Um, he was like, I just, I didn't know what else to do with you. I, had, I didn't know what else to tell you. Um, but I, I was, I was going to just say like, man, you probably should just go drink again. And not in like a malicious way. It was just, it was just me being stubborn, delusional, just like, there's nothing you can do. Um, and I told my parents, I said, look, I'm drinking again. And I said, but I'm going to do some experimenting. And I said, this is really important. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go and drink two beers every day. And I said, I'm not going to drink any more. And I said, more important, I'm not going to drink any less. <laughs> and I remember I told that, I think, to my dad. And I, he just looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, okay. Um, but I like had convinced in my mind, like convinced, like yeah, all right, I, I did it. I convinced them. I don't have to worry about them anymore. And and I can tell you from that moment on, I mean, really, my my life from 21 to 26 uh, was just me being as drunk as I had ever been over and over again, just consistently over and over and over again, just being drunk as I had ever been before. And in fact, it started the next day. I mean, a friend of mine had a house party. I went over, this was the time I put on that bulletproof vest and people were taking shots at me. And, and, uh, like I come to the next morning, I don't know where my car is. Uh, I do remember just vomiting everywhere on this dude's lawn. Um, and the thought in my mind was not like, me being scared, I lost control. The thought that came to my mind after that morning was, was, man, it's just been a while since I drank. I just needed to get that out me, out of me. I just needed to just let loose a little bit. I've been real wound up. I just needed to, I just needed to let loose and just live a little bit. And I don't need to worry about that anymore because that's gone. Um, and it, it wasn't gone. I mean, I, I. Like I said, I just stayed as drunk as I had ever been consistently for the rest of my life. I'd go to classes drunk. Um, I was with this girl who was, um, she was in AA when I met her. We stayed together. 
Um, and she had a big family out in, in Boulder where I was going to school. And, and, um, and the great thing was is, is they all like to drink. Um, and so I really just fit right in with them, you know. Um, I remember, you know, like going to, going to school during the week, and then I just couldn't wait Thursday or Friday just going over to where, every, where their whole clan was and just getting as drunk as I possibly could. You know, and just doing stupid stuff and just drinking and, and being a part of that clan. Um, man, I loved, I loved this girl. You know, I loved this family. I had nobody. I went out to Colorado by myself. I had nobody out there, and this family took me in. They cared for me. Um, they loved me. Um, and this is when, you know, this is when I got into a fight with uh with one of her brothers, um, he ended up pulling a knife on me, and it, it got broken up. But what I remember happening is, is you know, coming to and being so disgusted with myself, um, wondering how anything like that could possibly happen. I love this family. I, you know, like how could I ever possibly have done something like that? Um, and just being so ashamed of the things that I did and the things that I said for the people that I cared for. And I was so scared of what happened because I didn't want to do that that night. Like, I, I, I can tell you I did not want to get into a fight with this dude that night. Um, the way the night started. Um, and I was so afraid because I had no idea what happened. I, like, I don't know how I got into that fight. I, I had, like, blacked out for a little bit. And, and, and I, you know, kind of all these thoughts came up. as like, man, why am I such a jerk when I drink? Like, I, why can't I just be happy like everybody else? Um, and, um, and so what happened is, is, uh, just scared and it sobered me up for a while. Um, and for, you know, about four weeks or something like that, I was sober and first one, it was like, I'm not drinking, <coughs> got a little crazy. Um, I'm not drinking anymore right now. I'd go out to dinner with this girlfriend. She'd be like, Marshall's not drinking right now. I'd be like, that's right, I'm not drinking right now. It's going to be okay. Um, <laughs> you know, week two comes by, and it's like, man, I can probably just have one beer, you know? The family, they let me back in to where everybody was staying. The brother I got, you know, into a fight with, he's kind of let me back in. All the in-laws, you know, they kind of like me again. It's okay. They're starting to talk to me again. They're letting me around. I could have a beer. Um, and really the next thing was like one or two, three or four. And then it was just, it was, I'm, I'm different now. I mean, that's really how it ended was, is I'm different now. I've figured this out. I've learned more about myself. Um, I know what I'm doing. Uh, and really my thought was, is that, you know, I, I know how much I like to drink and I can control it. And I remember thinking like, I like to just get up to about here and then I, I like to just coast about here. Um, and that just, I mean, that didn't, that didn't happen. Um, I just consistently got as drunk as I'd ever been over and over again. Uh, and then that time, that, that horrible, disgusting feeling was out of my mind. It was sufficiently past me. Um, and it didn't matter anymore. Um, and eventually this girl broke it off, and I ended up... I. Luckily, I ended up graduating um, from college, and and um, 
when she left me, I mean, I was, I was, I was hurt, but it was like I had nobody else because, like, what? I'm not going to go like hang out with this family, right? After this girl just left me, I had nobody else because I spent all my time with this group um, where I was living, and and um, just figured, you know what? I need to get out of here. My problem is where I'm at right now. I need to go home. I need to go back to my parents' house, and I just need to like figure figure my life out. So I moved back in with them. And um, about the end of 2000, no, midway to 2009, moved back in with them and, and um, decided that I was going to come to Raleigh to try to go back to state for school. And, and um, they eventually, like, all right, it's time for you to get out of the house. Like, you need to go now. And so I found a guy, a couple of guys that were renting a house here in Raleigh, and I moved in with them. and started to to go back to school a little bit i started taking open courses and got like two weeks into that and i was like i'm done doing homework like i'm not doing this anymore and for like a six or eight month period i was looking for a job um and i would tell people like yeah man i really need a job you know i just got anything like burger king hiring like i'll go and do that you know i mean just whatever it was i was like i'll go and do that job and People would come to me, like good-natured people would come to me and say, hey, you know, this it's like a Tivana at the mall. They're like, hey, they're hiring. You can go get a job. Um, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll go check that out. Um, you know, meanwhile, I would, I would wake up about 10 o'clock. Um, I figured that, that you can't, you really shouldn't start drinking, in my mind. You shouldn't start drinking until about noon because, like, football starts coming on and all that kind of stuff or whatever it is. So I was like, I'm not going to drink about noon. About two hours, I'd kind of, you know, roam around the house as everybody's out to work. And then there was this kegerator at the house that I built, um, and I had this big Hooters glass. And I would just sit in the chair drinking this beer all day. Um, and uh, that's just, like, how I lived my life. People were like, yeah, man, he's got a job. I was yeah, totally. I'm going to go. I'm going to go right on that. I'm going to get that. Um, and uh, I started getting some weight at this time. And so I figured, like, well, you know, my problem is, uh, is I'm drinking too much beer. And so what I need to do, and I'm going to lose some weight. You know, I'm going to get healthy. I'll go to the gym and stuff. But really my problem is I'm drinking too much beer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that Hooters glass I'm going to fill it pretty much all the way full, but then I'm going to put tequila in it, and that way I'll get drunker faster and I'll drink less beer. And that was, to me, like a legitimate, like, genius idea to get me to stop drinking so much, is I thought that if I only felt drunker faster that I wouldn't go back to the keg to drink more. Uh, And that started, you know, kind of the end period where even if I was at a bar, like, I'd get that beer to hold on to and I'd get that shot to get drunk and so I wouldn't have to drink so much. Um, and it was just, you know, like a downward spiral. It's, it's me like in the, the, um, those little bike carriages that they have in Raleigh, like hanging out of them as my girlfriend at the time is like, Jesus Christ, what's going on? I'm like yelling at the cops and all that kind of stuff. And just a, a mess of a period. Um, and, uh, I eventually do get a job and, and, um, I start traveling a lot for work and, and, you know, like lo and behold, I meet people that like to drink as much as I do and, and, um, work trips really aren't that bad because when you drink, you know, from eight at night to four in the morning, whatever it is, and go work a little bit the next day, like it's, you know, you're having a party, man. You're having a good time. 
Um, about, you know, the, the end of it, though, is, is um, I'm just getting tired. I mean, it's really what I can remember coming on is I'm getting tired of drinking. And I remember having conversations with people, telling them, like, man, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to be here tonight. I don't want to be in this bar. I don't want to drink, uh, wake up hungover tomorrow. Again, I just really don't want to do this. And just not being able to connect that, that you know, drinking or anything leads to that lifestyle. And I, I would ask my, my wife, we were dating at the time, and I'd ask her, like, what do other people do on the weekend? Like, they just stay at home? Like, they don't go to the bar or anything? Like, what are these, like, what are they doing? Because I was just so accustomed to, like, no, you go out, you find a bar, you drink, and then you go home. And then you work for a little bit only to get you to the next weekend so you can get to the next bar, so you can drink again and then go home. And it just baffled me that other people didn't live that life. And she would ask me every now and then, she'd be like, are we alcoholics? Because she knew that I, I was an AA before, and I would say, no, not at all. Not at all. I know alcoholics, not at all. Um, but I just got tired. Um, and um, there's nothing, I mean... You know, I can't tell you how many thousands of times I woke up just, you know, not knowing where the car was, not knowing who was mad at me or why my wife was mad at me or what I need to do to make it up to her or, or any of that stuff. Um, all I know is that one day after a very long work trip, I came to one morning and looking back on it, I mean, I've associated some other feelings to it, but I got up that morning and I was just done. Um, I'd done some very horrible, disgusting things on this work trip while I was there, um, and I was just done. Uh, and I couldn't figure out, like, I came, I remember coming to that day and just thinking to myself, like, man, how did, like, here I am again. Like, how did I get here again? Like, I moved, I started reading books, I tried to go to church one time, I told a friend of mine, I was like, I know all my problems, I'm going to solve I'm going to go to church. He was like, okay. Tried going to church, right? I tried going to a therapist. And not that any of this stuff, there's anything wrong with any of this stuff. Um, it just didn't, wasn't sufficient to keep me sober. It wasn't sufficient, I should say, to, to, to give me any peace and joy in my life, to remove any of that fear, for any of those old thoughts to be removed from me, to, to be kind of supplanted by new thoughts, a new way of thinking. Um, and I came to that day, and I was just disgusted. And kind of and looking back on it now, I've, I've thanks to you know to you all and listening to you and 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 just being open minded, I guess. Um, the way that I would describe it is that um, I could no longer separate. Kind of, I, I knew I did horrible and disgusting things, and I prior to this, I could separate it and say I'm not a horrible and disgusting person. And here's why: I'm going to do something different this time. And I woke up that morning and I knew without a shadow of a doubt that all of the horrible, disgusting, and rotten things that I did in my life made me a horrible, rotten, and disgusting person. I mean, I, I knew it. And I knew that that would never change. And I knew that I would always be a horrible and rotten and disgusting person. And there was absolutely nothing that I could do to, 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 do, to deal with that. There's nothing that I could bring about in my life that would change any of that. And I knew without a shadow of doubt for a fact that my life was over at that moment. 
because I knew that alcohol, no longer a solution. It was the reason why I was a horrible, rotten, disgusting person. And I also knew that I couldn't live life without alcohol. I mean, up until this point, like, alcohol was everything to me. Alcohol was the reason why my wife married me. It was the reason why my parents liked me. It was the reason why any of you liked me. It was the reason why I did any, any, any good in school. It was, it was everything. And I could not picture life with or without alcohol. I couldn't, could not possibly imagine it. And I was devastated. I was hopeless, absolutely hopeless. Um, but luckily, I knew of a guy that was, that was sober. And, and to be honest, I mean, I hadn't spoken to this guy probably in six years. Um, he's a guy I met out in California or uh, Colorado. Um, I knew he was sober. Um, I just, it's just like I knew that he was living happy and he had peace in his life and he had freedom. And I had Facebook, and so I messaged him on Facebook, and it took him a while to get me back or to get back to to me. And and in the meantime, like I got home, um, but it's like I'm at this hotel on this like 30th floor, and I'm like looking over the balcony for the cops, and like peeking my head out the door to make sure nobody's getting me and any stuff like that. And I remember going to the airport like eight hours too early, and like hiding out in the corner because I figured the cops were all just going to come and pounce on me getting into the plane and I'm like you know like here's the ticket just wait just waiting for the, the SWAT team to swarm in and drag me out of there um I remember seeing a guy I got I think it was Dallas um I came back from Hawaii and into Dallas and and um I remember seeing a guy that was probably at this party that first night that I got drunk He's a brother of a friend of mine and I remember his wife and him got on the plane and I said hey man how's you know it's good to see you and and um he said, yeah, dude, it's good to see you too. And I just remember thinking my, my, my mind was like, I bet he's not as horrible a person as I am. I bet he's never done the things that I've done. And I felt so disgusted as they walked by me. Um, but I got in touch with this guy, like I said, and he, he got me in touch with people in Raleigh. Um, and uh, they came to my house. Two guys came to my house one Sunday night. And I told them pretty much, you know, in, in one form or fashion, everything that I've told you that I was a horrible and rotten, disgusting person, and I appreciate what you're doing here, but you just don't understand. I told him that my life was over. Um, I don't really remember anything what they said to me, uh, except for the fact that they said, we're going to take you to a meeting tomorrow night. It was either this guy is going to take you to a meeting tomorrow night, or I'm going to take you, whatever it was, I'm going to take you, we're going to take you to a meeting tomorrow night. And I went to Way of Life, uh, downtown Raleigh on Monday night. This guy picked me up at like 4.30. That is a 7 o'clock meeting. (laughs) And we got there early, and I was furious. I hated this guy. I hated him for picking me up so early. I hated that my life was over, and I was here in front of a church. Um, But I I remember him like many times in the future beyond that, that he would just walk around and he would shake people's hands. And it's like he knew everybody. I just remember looking at that like, man, how do you do that? Like, how do you introduce yourself to people? How do you talk to people without just like throwing up? Like I couldn't talk to people <laughs> without just like wanting to vomit, you know? And we got into this meeting and, um, and, um, 
you know, I, what I said was, is they, well, they said, you know, is there anybody here that'd like to introduce themselves or anything like that? And I said, hey, my name is Marshall Worth, and I'm an alcoholic. I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. People welcomed me, and it was just that moment that I, that I kind of think of in my mind that just cracked the door open a little bit, just for me to have at least a little bit of willingness to introduce myself, to think that I was an alcoholic and, and all that, and it just cracked the door open a little bit, and I think that's kind of along many a number of many things that, that, that um, began my journey that I'm on today, that I continue to be on. Um, and I was encouraged very quickly to get a sponsor, uh, and to get a home group, and I joined this home group two weeks after I got sober. Um, and I got a sponsor very quickly after that, and we started meeting twice a week. Um, we started going through the book. I don't remember anything that was read to me. <laughs> I remember being, being very scared. I remember getting to the third step, and he looked at me before we said the prayer, and he said, all right, you're going to think well before you do this. And he closed the book, and he said, get out of my house. <laughs> Wasn't that dramatic? But he said, he said uh, we're going to stop here, and you're going to think about this and come back. And I was terrified. I was like, man, if, these, if I say no, like he's asking me if I'm going to make a decision. He's asking me if I'm going to take this serious. It's like, if I say no to this, like I've got nowhere else to go. Like I don't, I don't have any other place to go to. I don't have anybody else bringing me to meetings, anybody else talking to me. And I was terrified. So I thought I had no choice. Like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And we went through the rest of the steps. We did a fourth and fifth step, and he stopped me in the fifth step, and, and I was just spewing some kind of garbage that doesn't matter. And he looked at me, and he said, do you have any idea how selfish you are? And I had never, I had never had a comment like that cut through me so cleanly. And it's like in that moment, I saw it. I saw everything that I did. I saw how selfish I was, how selfish I continued to be, and how, it's like, I, it's, yeah, just how selfish I was, and it cut through everything. And then what I remember is, is really just all of you living your life by principle. I remember um, getting to the healing, tra- healing place, healing transitions, you know, early to read one morning and being real scared and just hearing my sponsor say after we got out as I'm thinking, like, man, what am I going to do here? Like, I can't help anybody. I can't, these people are going to want something from me. i got to take them somewhere. i got to get home, man. i got to do all that. And my sponsor just looked at me and he said, all right, Marshall, now what we're going to do is we're going to go outside and we'll see if we can't be of service. It was just very simple. And that stuck with me. Um, and that's, I feel like that's what I've just, I've tried to do. I haven't done it very well. I mean, it, it, it that had a period of about two or three or four years. I don't remember what it was, but a period of just a dark night of the soul. And I was, I came in to Alcoholics Anonymous dependent on you all, dependent on the program, dependent on meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for power and for knowledge. And I remember I came to the end of that and I hated all of you because I couldn't be as good as you and I couldn't do all the things that you did and I couldn't do all the stuff that you told me to do. And I was miserable. Um, And the only thing that I was told over and over again was just try to help somebody. I call my sponsor up in a panic attack at the beach wherever I'm working. He just 
I don't even know what he's thinking at this time, but he just lets me just spew. And then finally he said, why don't you try to get to a meeting? And just over and over again, it was just a very simple message of just try and go help somebody. Try and talk to people. Go to meetings. Try and help somebody. Pray. And I would pray, and, and eventually what happened is I, is I established through all those actions, through actions of like setting up chairs where I didn't have any idea how that helps, so making coffee, being back there at the door, shaking people's hands. I didn't have any idea how any of that stuff made any difference in my life, but I had an experience. And I somehow through all of that established a relationship with God that I understand today. And that's another moment that I'll never forget. I mean, it was like one of those, um, I forget what Bill calls it, whatever his, whatever his like white light experience is in the hospital. <clears throat> I just remember driving, getting on 540 and looking around and thinking like, man, I'd never seen color like this before. I'd never seen the world like this before. It's like everything was green and blue and the sky was, you know, clouds were up there and they're white. I mean, it was just crazy. Um, and that certainly wasn't the end of that difficult time, but it began a process of a, it really a transition of a reliance on, somebody, on something else, a power greater than me, away from, from men and women and, and onto God. Um, and I try to just live a very simple life today. Um, I, I truly believe that, that really the, all, the only thing I'm supposed to do in life, life is messy, a lot of stuff happens, got kids running around they're throwing up and they're going to school and getting in trouble and you know like i my work sucks and all that kind of you know all that just just nonsense that everybody deals with what i try to remember is that really the only thing that i'm supposed to do is just to show up and just to act when i'm called upon and that's honestly that's what i believe is that god makes himself known to me is that all throughout the day that I have the ability to tap into knowledge and power wherever I am. That I don't, I don't have to stop and pray. I don't have to wait until the night to review anything. I don't have, all these things are I'm, they're great in how they, how they establish principle. But I don't have to wait to do any of that stuff. Knowledge and power is accessible wherever I am at any moment. And it's, just, it's my job just to listen and be ready and to receive it. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect at it, but what I know is that life happens. I still get you know, fearful. I still get afraid. I can hear direction, what I think is direction, some guidance, right? And then it's kind of up to me whether I, I try to draw on that power to walk through that fear and try to do what I'm called to do, or I turn and run. Sometimes I run. Um, I try, to, I try to remember to pray, though. I've, I've found that to help quite a bit in times of fear. Um, it's definitely one of those things where, where that willingness to believe um, grew into a faith in any time. Um, praying before meetings, whether it's business or AA meetings or praying in family events, um, what I found is that through prayer is that I can have that conversation and that I can receive guidance and and I can receive a little bit of power and I can just walk through the day and I can do what I'm supposed to do. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I mean, I, I, have, I have peace and serenity today. Um, 
and I've always wanted in my life, uh, I've always wanted to just do what I'm supposed to do. I remember, I just remember being very young. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll end on this. Um, I remember being very young and just desperately wanting to know what God wanted to do with me. And then I would do all these, you know, like mushrooms and acid and all this stuff, and I'd be like, man, I meant this is it tonight, dude. I'm getting guidance. Um, and I just desperately wanted, I desperately wanted to know what, what am I supposed to be doing. I largely feel like I've found that today through Alcoholics Anonymous, through practicing principle in my life, is that I found that today, is that I, I get to have that guidance and I get to just play my part. And I love that, that I don't have to be anything more. It doesn't mean that I don't want to be anything more. I want to be Susan Blanche up here. Like, it doesn't mean that, <laughs> it doesn't mean that I want to do I, I don't want that. But that I get to play that part is, is incredible to me. And that's, that's, that's what I want and that's what I've received through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so I think I'll end on that. I appreciate, Adrian, I appreciate you asking me to share. Um, I appreciate all of you.